The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, it's Jesse. Now that we've been making the show for a while, listeners often write in with their own career stories. The truth is, you don't really have to be famous or a career expert to have a story that can teach us something. So I'm going to start bringing you some of those stories. And if you've got something to share, I hope you'll write to us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. Sharing our stories, well, it's what gets us through. It's what helps all of us get smarter about the way that work is changing. And that's what we're trying to do here. Elise Patterson first wrote to me last spring after our episode on Blue Delta Jeans. Remember, that was the jeans company from Tupelo, Mississippi, where I spent most of the spring, and where, as it turns out, Elise was born. Now she lives in Boston, where she finished up a master's a couple of years ago. We got started exchanging emails, and I was just really impressed with the thing that she's creating. Here's Elise. I'm the founder and director of Ability Stance, and it's a Boston-based nonprofit dance company that uses dance as a tool for intersectional disability rights. We have three different programs, and we have our performing company, which are all adults with and without disabilities that train and create work, not just in the dance or choreographer space, but in the musician composer space, costume designer, and more to make the work accessible. And we perform all over the place. We have our community engagement work where we partner with different organizations and either do movement workshops or lectures on disability culture, intersectionality, and really foster those conversations on making spaces more equitable. And then we have our education program where we teach adaptive ballet and modern techniques for that next generation of dancers. Right now it's virtual, so it's a little different, but we're still um, pretty busy in creating work and performing work virtually from our living rooms or giving lectures in different spaces, even Sri Lanka on Tuesday. So, (laughs) yeah. Elise is a young director of a young company, and she's tremendously driven and talented. She often includes her mobility aids in her choreography, her crutches, a wheelchair, maybe her walker, Photos of her work show her leaping gracefully over it. Her organization's vision goes beyond beauty. Here, I'll read it to you. We disrupt antiquated ableist beliefs and disseminate the value of inclusion through dance. Elise has danced since she was four, though she stopped for a long time when her health took a turn because she didn't believe she could do it. One reason? Well, she didn't see bodies that looked like her body on stage. Instead, she studied hard and she did biological research, but she really missed dancing. So she started back. Yeah, it was definitely difficult first in the area finding places that would want to teach. And I was lucky that I found one or two that were willing to work with me uh, one-on-one and then just kind of developing and retraining my body. And it wasn't always easy at, at that point for sure, but just going with it. One of the more beautiful things, if if you look at your work online, is the way that the work is choreographed specifically for you and your body and your aids and your devices. And I wonder if you can speak to what the period of time was like for you in your life when you went from trying to do it like everybody else, 
to really embracing what made your experience of it special and ultimately artistically beautiful? Yeah, I think in the beginning, um, trying to get back to a place where I was, was a lot harder and a lot challenging and I just didn't feel as authentic. Um, And so when I went to the Bates Dance Festival uh, in Maine and started to kind of figure out how can I choreograph and how does my body work? Um, And in addition to classes, just also on my own, um, working with my own walker and developing a choreography for that, I felt a lot stronger and a lot more um, authentic in my own body, which translated into a lot better work. And so when I came back to get my master's at BU, I dived into that kind of uh, figuring out how I can keep that work going, which eventually became abilities. Um, so you dove into your master's program and danced at the same time. Yeah, not at first, but in trying to reconnect in the bus and dance scene and trying to figure out what that meant for my own body and coming up against a lot of different challenges. Just realizing that I needed to create my own space to do the kind of work I I wanted to be involved in and then going from there. Yeah. And so you finished your master's program and you got a job. But in addition to that job, you had this other passion which ultimately became your company, um, that you developed on the side, really as a side project, right? Or would you say the job is a side job to support (laughs) the real project? (laughs) Um, I would say eventually the job definitely supported the project because I need to pay the bills and I need to be able to have that taken care of so that I can do the work that I really care about. You know, I think a lot of people listening might dream of doing something like that, but might stop and feel daunted at just the idea that they don't, they don't know how the finances work for a nonprofit. I mean, they don't know how to establish that stuff. So how'd you figure that stuff out? I didn't have all of the funding and the support that other institutions might have had when they were first being created. I had a bartending job and I saved up tips for our first show and went from there. And I think that really taught me how to really stretch the dollar, which is incredibly important in nonprofits, and how to learn and grow and have people who are willing to volunteer some time to help grow the work with you. Mm -hmm. And at this point, the company has grown to include a number of people. So how did you amass the group of people who are involved? A part of it was actually through Instagram and just reaching out to people and saying, I admire your work. Let's talk about it. And including them to be either as choreographers or guest artists. And the rest were just through different experiences of running into them and seeing them in a class or seeing them perform elsewhere or emailing. And so, yeah, I think being open to different modes of hiring has been really helpful. When you were able to perform in person rather than digitally, as we do in the summer of 2020, where were the performances if the, if the company is everywhere? Yeah. So 
some, uh, especially in the more New England uh, area, would come into the area and perform in a variety of spaces from museums like the Peabody Essex Museum or the MFA to universities like Boston University. And it's definitely been an array of presenting theaters or museums to different organizations from like Fidelity even, which is also a little bit of our community work too when talking about how our accessibility lessons are applicable to corporate America. So we've definitely spanned a range of different industries and different communities. Wait, so so explain that last bit. What are you doing with Fidelity? Yeah. So we, or I also in our community engagement work with Fidelity was able to work with them to have this lecture for their Boston base and also folks across the country tuning in virtually to talk about our accessibility aspects of our organization in addition to overall equity and how that's applicable to corporate America. Because at the end of the day, I think our organization, it is a dance company, but also not because I'm using dance as a tool to really promote this bigger conversation of intersectional disability rights in the Boston area, but also beyond. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Elise doesn't discuss the story of what happened to her body to make her need the mobility aids. To her, it's the wrong thing to focus on. She says that it plays into an inspirational narrative that she rejects. She believes we should normalize a disabled person without needing to know how they became disabled. It hasn't stopped her from becoming a dancer. In fact, embracing her disability along with her blackness and her gender and every other component of her identity has made her a better dancer, more elegantly connected to the movement that is uniquely hers. And it has imbued her with a sense of purpose, a commitment to using the art she loves to make people think differently. So what do most people get wrong when they start to think about intersectional disability rights? I think the wrong part is that they kind of forget the intersectional part and think of disability as this narrow space instead of realizing that 
the disability community itself is a spectrum of variety of different disabilities. And in addition to that, there are also other identities that can affect our disability rights work, like race and disability or gender and disability. And that is important to think of all of those intersecting identities when we're promoting our social justice work, because it's really not social justice if you're forgetting some of these other identities. Talk a little bit about the equity piece. What do you mean when you're talking about equity? Yeah, it's providing space and doing the work to include as many diverse identities as possible. And that is within and outside of the disability community, because we do have a number of diverse folks that are um, affiliated with the organization from first generation or immigrant identities to trans or non-binary identities to so many other aspects that are either included in the disability community or outside of the disability community, because I want to provide a platform for that as well, because that's who's in our world. And so we should be able to do that work here as well. So your dance community then is about dance, but really it's about the community. And it's about learning how to better be in a community that is grounded in equity and in a shared sense of value. Exactly. I think the equity aspect is more than just a mission statement for us um, or more than the string of newsletters that have been coming out from other organizations of Black Lives Matter without actually doing the work, but really taking the time to know who's in the company and what I can do to support them in doing their work. And that's not always easy, but it's necessary. I think we need to get beyond the whole making sure everyone is at the party or saying that we're making sure everyone's at the party and really doing the work as to how we're able to really support those folks because often it's just kind of left at the door for diverse folks and other organizations like, well, you're hired and there you go. But instead thinking of what are the resources they need, which might be more than you're used to or in a different capacity than you're used to, to be able to do that work and to be able to continue promoting them within the organization. What do you want next for the dance company? Do you envision that it will be a full-time job for you at some point in the future? I think at some point, for sure. I think that I see myself being involved with other organizations at an executive level and helping to build equity work within their own structures, and but also making sure that intersectional component is always there too. But I'm definitely enjoying where I'm at and looking forward to the growth, for sure. So based on your own life experience, Liz. What advice might you have to other young people coming up, particularly people who are navigating identities that are outside of the mainstream? I think realizing that is going to be very hard, depending on the type of space you're in. Not all spaces are going to do the work that they're saying, but really first connecting with, if you can, anyone in the organization to learn more about that organizational culture. But if not, then realizing that if you are in that space, it it can be hard, but to rely on your network to kind of get you through those hard times. And also realize that, that especially if it's your first job, is not the defining aspect of your career. And you're also more than that one job 
to you. And that's that's what I would say for anyone. I'm more than abilities. I'm more than any job that I have or will hold in the future. And to just keep learning and growing and always learn no matter what stage you are in your career. I love that point. I think it's so easy to get sucked into the value system in the organization you land. But we are all more than any one job, any one identity. So what does Elise's company have to show us about the future of work? Well, to my mind, everything. Other people who want to dance too, other people with disabilities of all types. It's communities she wouldn't have been able to find as readily even a decade ago. She credits social media with helping her connect. Disability is culture too, more than just a diagnosis or health. There is this a very vibrant disability culture community where using disability as an aesthetic and not just dance work, but in music and a variety of different artistic practices that we also try to honor in our own company, but that other companies have been doing or individual artists have been doing for a while is important to know and to also be in that space and respect those folks and support that work too. You mentioned that you had a Really cool mom that you were raised by. Mm-hmm. Did and she grandmother. push you into this? Like, what? <laughs> um, where did you get this? These tools so young. Yeah, no, it's really just learning and absorbing and seeing what's happening in the field and and the work that I just want to do and kind mm-hmm. of using my own inspiration of where I want to see my community at to guide that vision and understand these different aspects and just listening to the people in my company as well and hearing like who they are and what their needs are and what they want to contribute as well and giving them space to do that. Um, I think it's really important. Is a lot of what you learned around this, did it come from college or pre-college? I think it's just been just reading and social media for sure, too. Reading different folks' thoughts in this community and in this world, because there is so many different, especially on Instagram, so many different great folks in this community that are just posting these different thoughts and um, thinking of access as love, for instance, or thinking of, you know, disabled and cute or beautifying mobility aids because they they should be. Or just in my own work, thinking of when we're working with museums, equating that to different works of art so that people can start to subconsciously correlate diverse bodies as art was really important for me to do as well. So um, thinking of all these things that I want to see, reading and then just listening to people in my community. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really impressed by the significance that Instagram has played in that. Oh, yeah. So many people in our company have come from Instagram. So I definitely recommend having a a great social media presence because you never know who's watching for (laughs) sure. (laughs) That's really true. That was Elise Patterson, founder of Abilities Dance Boston. You can check out our work on our website, and you should. AbilitiesDanceBoston.org Also, send us your stories. Send us the stories about your 2020 careers. You know, about the things that are working well for you, about what you aspire to do, and what it has to tell all of us about the future. Thanks to Sarah Storm this week, our fearless producer, and the entire Hello Monday team for pulling together a great bonus episode. I'm Jesse Hempel. 
Thanks for listening. See you on Monday.